0: If you would open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, we'll be looking at verses 18 to 19, finishing up this first chapter of Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we open up your word, God, we pray that your glory, the exaltation of Christ would be on our minds and our hearts. We pray that your spirit would be at work to Illumine the truth of your word to to our minds and and to apply to our hearts. Conviction, where conviction is needed. Encouragement and strength, where encouragement and strength is needed. God, we thank you for your word, that it teaches us, that it instructs us, that it corrects us and rebukes us and trains us in righteousness, that we might be equipped for every good work. We pray um, to the end that you would be glorified, um, with our time together, it's in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Well, the Bible uses a number of everyday uh, comparisons to describe the life and experience of the Christians. It uses imagery and um, comparisons to farming, to fishing, to running a race, and a journeying on a pilgrimage, all to to explain and and express and describe the the life and experience of a Christian from the moment that they come to Christ to the moment that they enter into glory. And one of the most common um, ways in which the Bible describes the Christian life using these very common um, humanly types of experiences and activities comes in our text today, and it is the description or comparison to the Christian life into that of a warfare or a fight or a battle. Uh, there are numerous places, Old Testament and the New Testament, in the Psalms and in the epistles of Paul where uh, the description of the Christian life likened to that of a warrior called and prepared for action is used, even hymns, hymns like we just sung and how firm a foundation, some of this imagery and comparison to a fight, a battle, warfare, is used to describe the Christian life and experience. And a big question that is addressed and ultimately answered in these words from Paul to Timothy, question that is asked and ultimately answered is this, how do we fight the fight of faith Or the war of faith. How do we fight the fight of faith well? How do we maintain strength in the fight of faith? How do we avoid desertion of the battlefield? How do we avoid deserting the faith in the midst of this good warfare? This is a very real struggle. That. Gospel ministers and Christians in general face on a day-to-day basis. That every single one of us in some way, shape, or form wakes up every day needing to prepare our minds for action to wage this good warfare that Paul is reminding Timothy as a gospel minister that he needs to be prepared to engage in. In Sovereign Grace, we would do well to to glean the words of Paul to Timothy this evening. To glean the words and to follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before us. As Paul gives Timothy his marching orders, he prepares Timothy for the fight of faith by reminding him of of three important realities. Three important realities. The, The first one is the motivations of the fight of faith. The motivations. The second reminder that he gives is the means of the fight of faith. How is it that we are to fight well in this good warfare? And thirdly, he reminds Timothy of the danger of deserting the fight. The danger and ultimately the consequences of deserting or leaving the battlefield. If you remember from when we started uh, this epistle, this pastoral epistle, Paul is writing to Timothy as Timothy presides over the Ephesian church. And he's writing to encourage and to exhort Timothy as he leads and cares for the church. And as we looked at in the preceding verses, you'd remember that this is a church that is plagued with false teachers and false teaching. It's a church that is in great need of church order, leadership, and doctrinal instruction. This duty that, that Paul is writing to Timothy about, that he's entrusting him with, is no light task. Again, it's, it's a fight. It's a war, albeit... a. A good warfare, a good warfare, a good fight to be engaged in, a necessary fight, a necessary war to be engaged in, especially as a minister of the gospel presiding over the care and instruction of Christ's church. Look with me at 1 Timothy 1, 3 to 7. This is the primary context that verses 18 to 20 is responding to. 1 Timothy 1, or 1, 3 through 7, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge, notice that word there, Our charge, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away in vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now look again with me at verse 18. This charge I entrust to you. The aim of our charge is is love coming from a sincere faith. And this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with prophecies that have been given. Starting in verse 18, he, he lists for us some motivations to Timothy as to why he ought to pursue this charge that he's been entrusted with. He lists some motivations to to encourage and to to bolster up Timothy's faith as he leads this church. The first first thing he says to us in verse 18, this charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child. Let's stop there and notice that. Remember that, that... the one in whom is, has entrusted Timothy with this task over Ephesus, the one who's calling him to wage this good warfare, is someone who has apostolic authority. So the first motivation that we take note of when looking at the motivations for Timothy carrying out this great task and waging this good warfare is that it comes from one with apostolic authority. These are marching orders. Timothy has been commanded. Timothy has been entrusted, called ultimately by God to carry out this duty for for presiding over the church in Ephesus, for removing false teachers, dismantling false teaching, bringing about order and doctrinal instruction in the church. He's been commanded by one with apostolic authority, But also, notice the language. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. Remember also that this is coming from someone who has great great fatherly care and affection for Timothy. Timothy's charge is coming from someone who has fatherly care and support for him. Timothy is tasked to, to preside over this church, to wage this good warfare, to fight the good fight by the authority of God given through his apostles. And there's great motivation in that. There's also great motivation to be had that this is also coming from someone who deeply loves and cares for and supports and has entrusted Timothy to the task and has trusted Timothy with the task, and is praying for Timothy, who loves Timothy, supports Timothy, and wants to give him all the resources that he has as a father in the faith to accomplish this task. And, And there's great motivation in both of those things, recognizing that Timothy's task comes from one with apostolic authority and someone who has deep fatherly care. Both are great motivations. Great motivations to, to move forward in faith, in boldness, in the task. Out of great faith and trust and obedience to the authorities above him, ultimately from the Lord, through his church and his, his leaders, but also from someone who loves and cares for him and is, is praying for him and supporting him through this. Paul also goes on to remind Timothy of the prophecies that were previously made about him. And these ought to further motivate Timothy in his calling to fight this good fight and to fulfill this charge, these instructions that he's been given by Paul. He says, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, what is this calling that he refers to? Well, firstly, if you want to look at 1 Timothy 4:14, we won't spend much time here cuz we'll come back to this later obviously as we work through the letter. 1 Timothy 4:14 says, "Do not neglect the gift that you have which was given to you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, and by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy. It was God's very own word that called Timothy to gospel ministry. And in chapter 6, verse 12, we see that this calling of God was ultimately confirmed by the church when they laid hands on Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called in which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. God specifically called Timothy by word of prophecy, by authoritative decree, called Timothy to gospel ministry, and the church confirmed laying on of hands, they confirmed this calling. It also mentions a gifting that Timothy received. A gifting that Timothy received by God. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 6 through 8. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God... Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit of uh, not of fear, but of power and love and self control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of, of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Timothy, along with Paul, has been called to a holy calling. It's been confirmed by the laying on of hands. It's been confirmed by God uniquely and especially gifting Timothy for gospel ministry, called to be an evangelist and a preacher of the gospel. And all of these, all of these ought to serve as a motivation for Timothy to heed to Paul's word and to move forward with his marching orders and glorify God and exalt Christ by caring for this church, guarding this church, protecting this church, and removing this church from any false teachers that would rise up. Now, at this point, there's there's particular application to us as a church, particularly to, to our gospel ministers, those whom God has called, those whom God has gifted with the task of caring for Christ Church, preaching the word and handling the means of grace. So there's a particular application for gospel ministers in this room, Russell, Jason, and Chad, who handle the word week in and week out, fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you. Move forward ahead with your marching orders to care for Christ Church, to preach the gospel. And the rest of us, Sovereign Grace, remembers we have application here as well to be praying for our pastors and our ministers to this end, that they would remember, that they would remember and that they would regularly call to mind what they've been called to, the gifting that they received, and the purpose to which they received it. We ought to be praying regularly for our ministers of the word and gospel, as I know many of you are. Families and your children praying regularly in corporate worship, praying for our pastors and our elders. So these are the motivations that, that, that Paul reminds Timothy of in this text particularly. As he urges Timothy to press forward in the ministry that he's been given. But notice secondly in verse 19, the means the means of the fight of faith. If we are to wage the good warfare well, if we are to fight the good fight well, what are the means to accomplishing that goal, to accomplishing that end? Look at verse 19 of chapter 1. Um, I'll start back up. at That by them, by these prophecies, you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Now, um, according to John Stott, and I, I, I like these words, verse 19 is a deceptively comprehensive phrase. There's a lot packed into verse 19. And particularly this phrase, holding to faith and a good conscience. There's a lot packed in here. It's comprehensive. What do I mean by that? Or what does Stop mean by that when he, when he says that? Holding to faith. Now, I, I'm going I'm to assume the definite article. What's the definite article? Definite article is, is the word the. So when he says holding fast to faith, it's referring to something specific, something specific. Definite, Something objective. The means by which we wage the good warfare, fight the good fight well, is by holding to the faith. The object that we are to hold to in the fight of faith is not primarily or specifically our individual and personal faith. Rather, it is the objective faith. It's the apostolic doctrine that Timothy has received, that has been passed down to him. It's the pure truth of the gospel, the facts of the gospel, and the implications, what it means for you, and what it means for your life. Again, I, I think the definite article, though it's not used here in the English, nor in the Greek, in this particular phrase, it should be assumed. Why? We'll look at the... The the end of verse 19. Holding faith in a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Now you read your English Bible and you still say there's no definite article there. Well, in the Greek, the definite article is used in that particular instance. And if we jump over to 1 Timothy 3.9. 1 Timothy 3.9. We see there. Paul says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So without going too deep and spending too much time in the argument, um, I think for good reason, along with most commentators, we ought to assume the definite article there and that the faith that he's describing that we're to hold to when waging this warfare ought to be the objective faith, the apostolic gospel, sound doctrine, the pure truth of the gospel. Now, this doesn't remove, you know, the the, the need of individual and, and personal faith or the role that that plays because individual and personal faith is how the faith is held. Remember, he says, by these prophecies, you will hold, or holding, to the faith, and a good conscience. But what's the means by which you hold the faith? What's the means by which you hold the apostolic gospel, or doctrine, the pure truth of the gospel? How do you do it? You do it by faith. This distinction is of the utmost importance and must be grasped if we are going to fight the fight of faith well. When when we're in the fight and our confidence and our sense of assurance is waning because maybe we are just being beat up by the barrage of of temptation, failure, failure, We're being swept up and overcome by waves of of suffering and attacks. Our felt sense of, of assurance and confidence of faith can wane. But what is it that we grab hold to in those moments that lifts us back up, that brings us back into the fight? Is it looking to ourselves and the strength or weakness? Of our individual and personal faith in that moment? No. It's by looking to Christ. Looking to the gospel. Looking, at, looking to the pure truth of the apostolic doctrine. What they've been preaching and teaching and delivering and instructing to the church. That's what we're to grab hold to. That, and then that will strengthen our subjective, personal, individual faith. Our felt sense. So to wage the good warfare well, we need to hold fast to the faith. We need to hold fast to the gospel. We need to hold fast to Christ. But just as important as that is, and is just as much as we need to hold on to the faith in order to fight the good fight well, to wage the good warfare well, we also need to hold on to a clear conscience. Both, both are needed. Both are necessary to fighting the good fight well. Again, he says that by them, you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience or a clear conscience. Now, to have a clear or good conscience in general means to think to will and to act in conformity and in consistency with what is true good and right here it would specifically it would specifically mean living with with your thoughts your will and your actions in conformity to and in inconsistency with the faith with the gospel, your mind, your thoughts, your will, your, your decision-making, the, the judgments that you make when, when you're faced with, with, with different temptations or, or different wisdom calls or different ways to handle a specific situation with a friend, a coworker, a family member. The, 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 means, the, the, the means of guiding us in that, by which we might keep a good or clear conscience, is the gospel, the faith. Again, this is why holding both of these is so important. If we lose hold of the gospel, what it means and its implications, we will see our decision making, our conscience, our our, our, our decision making, we will see it wane. And on the flip side, if we see ourselves making decisions that are out of conformity with the gospel and the teaching and instruction that we've received from, from the word of God, we will also see, we will also see our understanding and are clinging to the faith, weaken and wane. We'll start to allow um, improper, distorted, destructive doctrines to creep in. This is why Paul's saying, Timothy, if you're to fight the good fight, well, you need to hold on to both of these. You need to hold on to the faith. You need to hold on to the truth. You need to hold on to Christ, who he is and what he's done. And what that means for you, what it says about who you are. And you need to hold on to a clear conscience, living a life where your thoughts, your will, your decision making, your actions are all in conformity and in consistency with that faith and with the pure teaching of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, to, to know the riches of this faith and to have stake in it is a treasure given to us by God's grace. As is a good conscience, a clear conscience. The fact that we've come to know and believe and receive all the benefits of Christ, and the fact that we've come to experience the clearing of our conscience, being given a clear conscience, is a gift of God's grace. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. You don't need to turn there. Uh, I'm just going to reference it briefly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. To hold fast to our confession without wavering, to fight the good fight of faith, well, again we need we need both of these things. We need a clear conscience and we need to hold to the pure doctrine Teaching instruction of the Word of God, we need, we need both of these. by God's grace, we must actively keep hold of both of these realities. These are the means by which we, we wage this good fight well that we're all called to and with a particular particular call for gospel ministries such as our pastors here and and, and Timothy and Paul in this case. Look with me at verse 20, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20. As Paul wraps up this chapter and as he's exhorting Timothy to take hold of his charge, take hold of the command that Timothy's been given. After reminding him of of the motivations for for fighting this fight and the means by which he's going to do it well, he he reminds Timothy of the danger of deserting the fight. The danger of deserting the fight. And and he does this by first giving a couple of examples of, of some who have. Of some who have, according to verse 19... Uh, have made shipwreck of their faith, largely in part for their failure to hold fast to the faith and a good conscience. He mentions too, he mentions Hymenaeus and Alexander. Hymenaeus and Alexander. There's little dispute as to who, who uh, Hymenaeus is. There's, no, there's not a, a, a ton necessarily about him, but in Second Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter... Chapter 2, Jimenaeus is mentioned again. 2 Timothy two sixteen. Again, Paul writing to Timothy in his second epistle or letter to him says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymeneus. And Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So Himenaeus, along with this other false teacher, are being mentioned by Paul. In his second letter is those who have deserted the faith, specifically in teaching false doctrine, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And and Paul is saying that avoid Hymenaeus. Instruct the church to avoid Hymenaeus because he's lost grip. He's lost grip on the faith. He's lost grip on the apostolic doctrine. The pure truth of the gospel. He's gone astray. Now, Alexander. Um, there's a number of Alexanders that are mentioned in the New Testament, though Alexander is mentioned here as someone who has made shipwreck of their faith. Timothy mentions another Alexander in Second Timothy chapter four. It's likely the same one. So, Second Timothy four fourteen says, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. So we have Himenaeus and Alexander mentioned as those who have deserted the faith, have made shipwreck of their faith in some way, and largely, as it's mentioned uh, in the little detail that we have, they've done so through swerving off in false teaching and corrupt doctrine, false doctrine. Paul, in 1 Timothy 1, again is writing to Timothy to encourage and exhort him, to fight this good fight well. And one of the ways he does so is by reminding him of the danger of deserting the fight, using these two men as examples. And what's, what's the outcome of, of their false teaching, of their swerving from the faith? Well, he says, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. They're handed over to Satan in order to be taught or instructed not to blaspheme, not to teach this corrupt and false doctrine. Being handed over to Satan, if you recall, Paul uses this language elsewhere. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 specifically, this language of of handing one over to Satan um, specifically... One who is caught up in great sexual immorality, who's still um, in this church and the church is still welcoming him and, and Paul addressing the church says it is actually reported, this is first, uh, first Corinthians five verse one, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerant even among pagans. for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you, not, or are you, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already announced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There's great similarity between the words that we see in verse 20 in 1 Timothy 1, and what we're seeing here, you have a handing over to Satan with the ultimate goal of restoration of some kind, so that they might be taught not to blaspheme. Handed over to Satan, An allusion to to excommunication, removing, casting this one out with the goal and purpose that they might be taught and instructed not to do so. The ultimate hope that they would ultimately repent of the false truths that they've not only propagated, but they themselves have ultimately believed truth of the gospel that they've deserted, that they've rejected, that they've thrown overboard, that's left them shipwrecked. The hope is that by casting them out, handing them over to Satan, they will see the folly of what it is that they've been teaching. Their corrupt doctrine and that they would repent. In sovereign grace, we ought to beware of desertion. We ought to Beware, beware of, of losing hold of the pure truth of the gospel. Losing grip of the apostolic doctrine that has been revealed to us in the word of God. And we ought to beware of losing grip on a clear and good conscience. A life where our minds, our decision making, our wills, our actions... Are lived in conformity with the gospel and the truth of the scriptures. And we ought to see the examples here and the examples that we've experienced even in our own congregation where people have made shipwreck of the faith and they've been handed over to Satan. They've experienced what Himenaeus and Alexander have. We should see these examples as a means of of keeping hold of the faith. We should see it as a means for ourselves as well, as a motivation to hold fast to the gospel. The Christian life, brothers and sisters, is a war. It's a fight that we are all called to take action in. And how, again, is it that that we fight the fight of faith well? How is it that we maintain strength in keeping in this fight, in waging this good warfare? How do we avoid desertion on the battlefield? We do so by clinging to the glorious truths of the gospel and conforming our lives, living our lives, conforming our minds to the true, glorious powerful realities of the gospel who jesus is what he's done for us that is how we fight the good fight of faith well let us follow in the footsteps of timothy and those who have gone before us as we wage this good warfare let's pray father in heaven we thank you for the grace and kindness that you've shown us in your son You've called us to yourself. God, that you equip us with everything that we need for life and godliness to fight the good fight of faith. God, we pray that you would keep our minds fixed upon Christ, that you would keep our minds clear, that our consciences would not be seared or corrupted, that we would Fix our lives, our minds, on the person and work of Jesus and the gospel and what it means for us. It's in Jesus' name and for our sake. Amen.